0: Good Thursday morning, folks. Today is October 20th, and you're listening to Thy Strong Word, the program where each weekday morning we explore the holy scriptures through which God bespeaks us righteous and nourishes our faith. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo of St. John Lutheran Church in Laverne, Minnesota. Thank you for tuning in. If this is your first time joining us, welcome. And for those of you who are coming back for more, I'm just blessed you're here. Be sure to tell your friends and families so that they too can be a part of the Thy Strong Word family by listening over the air on AM 850 in St. Louis, online at KFUO.org, or through their favorite podcasting app. Also, a shout out to our sponsor, the Lutheran Heritage Foundation. Learn more about their translation and publishing work at lhfmissions.org. And while you're online, send me an email too. Ask a question, make a comment, just say hello. It helps me to hear from you because you too are a part of the conversation. Email me at pastorboo at gmail.com. That's P A S T O R B O O E at gmail.com. Well, our text for this morning is Daniel chapter 5. King Nebuchadnezzar fades away into the background of history, decades have passed, and now new royalty enters the picture. This time, belshazzar not to be confused with daniel's babylonian name belteshazzar belshazzar history has revealed is the son of king Nabonidus and crown prince of babylon and proving his unsuitability for rule belshazzar is partying and getting drunk while persian soldiers are besieging the walls of babylon an ethereal hand writes a mysterious message on the wall Who can interpret? Well, if the last four chapters hasn't proven it already, Daniel can, of course. And to help us interpret Daniel 5 this morning, I'm pleased to welcome my guest, the Reverend Rick Jones. He's the chaplain and vice president of spiritual life of the Dakota Boys and Girls Ranch, and he's located in Minot, North Dakota. Pastor Jones, welcome to thy strong word. Thank you.
1: I really, really appreciate being here. Great opportunity.
0: Excellent. Well, we're just happy to have you here. And this has been a great text so far, Daniel. But before we pray and get into the text, and I know we have a lot to cover, but if you would, please share with our listeners just a little bit about what the Dakota Boys and Girls Ranch does and uh, where you do it.
1: Sure. So we are a recognized service organization of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Our mission is to help at-risk children and their families succeed in the name of Christ And how we do that is through residential treatment centers and education and outpatient services for mental health and counseling um, through our our centers in uh, Minot, Bismarck and Fargo, North Dakota. So it's primarily uh, youth, 10 to 18 year olds that have struggled with mental health or abuse, neglect, different things in their backgrounds that might have caused some significant distress in their lives or might just need a a little help right now because things are unstable or you know, a lot going on in their life. And uh, yeah, we're trying to do what we can to, to help them out.
0: What a fantastic ministry, especially, I know it's always been needed, but especially as you mentioned in today's climate, yes. uh, you know, kids are just struggling with things. I think that people of older generations, uh, while had it hard, certainly don't have to have deal- dealt with the same thing. And so I'm just thankful that you guys are out there.
1: Well, I appreciate that.
0: Well, uh, before we get into our text today, would you please start off our time together in a word of prayer?
1: Sure, and we'll, we'll use a paraphrase of an old, old hymn here. Lord, open now our hearts to hear, and through your word to us, draw near. Let us, your children, forever remain as we, your word, forever purely retain. Amen.
0: Amen. Well, as I said at the top of the show, our text is Daniel chapter 5. Uh, And I'm going to read it just part by part. We have about 31 verses, I believe, today. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm going to read verses 1. Let's say 1 through 4. King Belshazzar made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in front of the thousand. Belshazzar, when he tasted the wine, commanded that the vessels of gold and of silver that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken out of the temple in Jerusalem be brought, that the king and his lords and his wives and his concubines might drink from them. Then they brought in the golden vessels that had been taken out of the temple, the house of God in Jerusalem, and the king and his lords, his wives and his concubines drank from them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Now, Pastor, I know we are barely getting started here, but there's quite a bit to sort of set the stage for what's going on. And we know that Belshazzar has come along after Nebuchadnezzar, uh, but, you know, paint a picture for us. What is going on?
1: Sure. So, Um, as, as you stated in, in the intro there, uh, Belshazzar is, is understood to be the son of Nabonidus, who was the true King of Babylon at this time. Um, historians kind of piece things together and they realize Belshazzar was made a co-regent. Uh, and so he's, as you said, the crown prince here in, in this area, um, Why this is the case, we don't know. There's speculation that uh, Nabonidus was particularly unpopular and so he kind of got out of the spotlight for a while. But between Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar here reigning, we've got like three decades of of time have passed. We've got a handful of of different rulers. After Nebuchadnezzar we had Amel Marduk, um, then there was these names are, are really rough too. Oh, uh, Neriglissar, okay. uh, or Neriglissar, uh, then Labish, Marduk, and then for a few, uh, and he was only for a few months in 556 BC or thereabouts. Uh, and then we had um, Nabonidus uh, from 556 BC to Babylon's destruction by the Medes and Persians in 539. And the ancient historians have narrowed this down. This transition of power to a very even the date, so this would have been October twelfth of five thirty nine BC. Wow. So that's I that's think it's, fascinating.
0: It is fascinating. I, I mean, remember, we of course understand that the word of God is just that, the word of God, and we understand it, believe it by faith, uh, and even the details in it aren't necessarily you know what supports our faith, right? No one's convinced by evidence. But it's just wonderful when history proves out, not necessarily for Christians so much as for the world, that, yeah, but the Bible is a testimony of things that have actually happened. And this passage has been the subject of of ridicule by by scholars for many, many years because they said, look, this proves that Daniel is not from history because we don't know who this Belshazzar is. Sure. And sure. then and then they find him. Then they find him.
1: Yeah, they say, Oh, um, Belshazzar.
0: I mean he's referred to as a king but you know that's a pretty generic term in terms of the guy who's in charge
1: yeah yeah and so um they found documents it was as early as the 19th century when they finally find uh historical accounts of this belshazzar as the son of Nabonidus, who was set up as this co-regent they're not exactly sure on when that started somewhere between 550 bc and 553 bc but he is Installed as this co-regent until the destruction in October of, of five thirty nine, uh, but yeah, they use the text. Well, the text says it's 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 his uh, Nebuchadnezzar is his father, so it's a lie. It's right. like, well, yeah, but come on, how does how does Scripture as well as many other documents talk about and use that word of of father and son? Right, we can we can see uh, so many places where it's just used to describe any level of ancestry. I mean, how many people in the Bible are are called sons or children of Abraham? Likewise, Jesus is called the son of David. um, And any Jew who could trace their lineage back to Israel's greatest king would call themselves a son of David too. Mm -hmm. So it could be Belshazzar uh, is technically related. Uh, People have have, um, pointed to some lineage through um, a, a woman named Netocris, I think, is how you pronounce her name, and she is identified as a wife of ne- of uh, or the excuse me, a wife of Nabonidus, who was supposedly the daughter of Nebuchadnezzar through an Egyptian princess. So there could actually be family lineage here, but I think the sort of spirit of of him being in charge and the way in which he conducts himself is a more apt reason is why nebuchadnezzar is called belshazzar's father and he's the son of belshazzar right because look at how they reign they're both filled with arrogance they're both filled with pride they're they're brash in everything that they're doing There, paying homage to the babylonian gods and putting themselves in charge of anything no one is greater than them and their conduct shows that that's what they believe and that's how they conduct themselves but um
0: Well, and that makes a lot more sense when you understand that, you know, this is being written down for a purpose. And it actually is not to give us the history of the kings of Babylon, (laughs) but to uh, but to communicate something about these leaders. So, you know, just like you, maybe Jesus talks about uh, people being the, you know, Satan being their father. Or, you know, Satan being the father of all lies, even, you know, just the idea that, you know, we have as our father, Abraham, Jesus, you know, all that language that you bring out, this father sonhood is not only about connecting lineages, but yeah, about connecting ideas. And so Nebuchadnezzar is this guy's father because he is as arrogant and prideful as Nebuchadnezzar was.
1: Yeah, and even more so, right, as it it talks about him specifically taking the the sacred vessels that Nebuchadnezzar had removed from the temple in Jerusalem, but Nebuchadnezzar still had them you know set aside as an homage to to what had happened. Where here Belshazzar is, is using them, he's drinking out of them, he's parting with them, he's he's engaging in all of this, you know, hedonistic revelry with vessels that are supposed to be used by a very specific people for a very specific purpose. And he's using them as as common party tokens.
0: Oh, uh, you talked about how, you know, on the day of October 12th, right, mm-hmm. we have this transition yes. of power. Um, there's there's something to be said that this event right here is happening, well, probably on October 11th, the yeah, very day yeah. before.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Yeah. And October so 11,
1: 539 BC.
0: And, and that's fascinating anyway. But while, while they're, While they're getting ready to besiege and take over here, this guy in his arrogance is simply just parting it up, you know, and it kind of gives you the impression of what we might think of as a stereotypical spoiled crown prince might do.
1: Yeah, no offense
0: to all the crown princes. listening.
1: (laughs) Yeah, no, he's got this foreign army probably literally at the gates and he doesn't care. He's still going to have this. In it, This party, this lavish, extravagant event, even while he is about to be brought to ruin.
0: One of my favorite verses here is verse two. It says, Belshazzar, when he tasted the wine, commanded yeah. that the vessels of gold, etc." cetera. Um, I did a little digging on that myself. And one thing that I found, which I think was compelling, is that this, this phrase is actually a, a colloquialism. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean like, you know, when he first drank the wine um, or he just started, you know, maybe he did a a party starter or he pre-partied before this or it very well (laughs) could. It could mean that, too, but that it was a a phrase that meant, you know, when he when the wine started to taste good, it's kind of like a euphemism for he had drank so much that now he's starting to taste it. I, I would think the euphemism would go the other way. But uh, I think apparently that's what this means. So he drank so much. He is completely sloshed, as they might say. Yeah, no, absolutely. And and he desecrates these vessels. That's the context for what happens next.
1: Yeah, he's joined in the festivities and he is intoxicated. This isn't just he's he's having some entertainment for his guests. He's partaking in it. And, yeah, it's definitely impacted his his judgment, it's his uh, abilities to make sound decisions.
0: Well, anything else before we reveal what happens next? Because it gets pretty freaky. <laughs> uh,
1: I'll, I'll just go on to say further, um, as he has gone above and beyond what Nebuchadnezzar has done in his arrogance, uh, this kind of works as a slap in the face even in Nebuchadnezzar. He's almost saying, i am I am better than even Nebuchadnezzar. Because I'm going to use these things that he had respect for in a disrespectful way.
0: Verse five. Immediately, the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace opposite the lampstand. And the king saw the hand as it wrote. Then the king's color changed and his thoughts alarmed him. His limbs gave way and his knees knocked together and his color changed, and his lords were perplexed. That's through verse nine. Just a handful more verses. We're going to take this just piece by piece. But he says in verse four, they drank the wine and they praised the gods of gold and silver and bronze and iron and wood and stone. Wow. So we get that they don't believe in the one true God. We we understand that, but it is such a, as you said, a slap in the face to his predecessors. Mm-hmm. but also to the one true God, whether you absolutely. believe in him or not, he exists. And then yes. immediately this ethereal hand, the, the handwritings on the wall, so to speak, right? What, what is going on, brother?
1: Yeah. Well, it's great that you bring up that idiom. I think uh, we'll, we can save that to the, the end once we get it interpreted, because that's <laughs> where it good. comes from. But yes, yeah, absolutely. Right on. Um I I love the description, the the clear details um, that the prophet lays down for us in this passage, right? His color changed. We might look at that as the, you know, he turned pale. No, no, no. The color drained from his face or he's green around the gills. Mm -hmm. His knees knocked it. He's on the verge of collapse. He is sick with how disturbed he is here. It's absolutely incredible the detail that is put into Um, This text describing just how disturbed Belshazzar is by this experience. And I mean, anybody would have been, you know, shocked or perplexed, but I think the atmosphere of what's been happening, amplifying everything. And and so he is completely beside himself. He's an absolute wreck. And the details in the text show us that. Another uh, key detail in here, it says, the hand did this across from the lampstand so it's in full light. It's in full view. The writing is well lit and very visible. So there's no doubt surrounding this event. Everybody can see exactly what's
0: happening. Well, isn't it also interesting how, you know, Daniel makes a point to note that, that mm-hmm. you know, why, why would he note across from the lampstand? I mean, we aren't there. We, we can't picture the, the situation in our head. We can't say, oh, yeah, last time I was there, that lamp. No, we have no idea. <laughs> So, so I'm glad that you brought that up, right? Across from the lampstand. This isn't a he catches a glimpse out of the corner of his eye or his eyes are playing tricks on him. I, I like how you put that it is in full light that this is happening. There's no yeah. mistaking. And I, and I've seen this, you know, animated or recreated in media mm-hmm. over the years, but it it says here it's not just that the words appeared like some bad horror movie. Uh, the hand was there. There was a hand, something yeah. that you could see, a disembodied hand. Um, just fascinating.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Definitely something to disturb people. And and then again, all these details show us this isn't just some effect of his intoxication, right? He's not just hallucinating or something. Uh, this is for everyone to see. And yeah, a, a, a disembodied hand inscribing something on the wall. So we get the sense that not only, yes, it didn't just appear, but it's actually writing it. So they're watching every character be etched into the wall.
0: They describe the king's color changing and his thoughts alarming him and his limbs giving way. Um, not to question what Daniel chooses to share and what he doesn't choose to share, but boy, I would have loved to also have heard how the other people reacted. Oh, I mean, he, he calls in all of his wise guys to come here and try to interpret it but you know there's a thousand figuratively speaking you know lords there there's yeah. all these people and I, I assume that some of them didn't notice it but but still some must have it, it must have been an, an just a crazy scene with people going crazy and him calling for the wise men
1: oh yeah the uh, the event is definitely over now
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah the party's done check please yeah yeah no and
1: then when he calls the advisors it's 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 interesting. You'd think these are the educated elite, right? These are the advisors to the king. Um, they should know the language. They should be able to read it, but they can't even read it, let alone give the interpretation, which you know, we, we understand that that extra level, that special level of insight is required for interpretation. God-given wisdom is, right. is what provides the interpretation, but you'd think they'd at least be able to read it, but they can't do even that. So, I mean, maybe it's it's divine um, bewilderment that's happening here. God is is causing them to be confused, um, but it might be actually in the, lang- the nature of the Aramaic language itself, right? Early Semitic languages were written without spaces, and they don't have the vowels included in the words. Those are things that are added later. And so, that could make any clear reading quite difficult unless you had an idea of what you were looking for in the first place. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you want to try this at home, try writing a short sentence, everything pushed together without any of the vowels, and see if anybody can understand or decipher it. It might be harder than you think. Um, Dr., uh, Reverend Dr. Andrew Steinman, in his Concordia commentary on Daniel, has uh, demonstrates some really interesting insights into the nature of, of that. Uh, but I think, again, we can get more into the, his analysis when we, we read the inscription itself, Absolutely. but, um, it's, it's, it's just fascinating. The inability for the wise men to be able to interpret, n- not just interpret, even read this thing. Um, and then because of that, the King becomes even more distressed. Uh, he's again, described as being noticeably disturbed, uh, and on the verge of fainting, um, before we will, we'll get to his mother coming in. Um, or maybe I, maybe that's a spoiler. The queen is going to come in. That's right, that's right. But uh, the, the, so he, he offers everything he can. Um, you know, the purple robe, the, the gold chain and third place in the kingdom. Uh, this is another thing that's helped people speculate and piece together who this Belshazzar is. If it was the full king, he'd be able to offer position number two, right? You'd be second in the kingdom only to me, but because that's his position, he cannot do that. So he can only grant the third position. Uh, So more indication that this is Nabonidus' son. And then um, I found an interesting note about the the purple. We almost automatically go to, well, purple is the color of royalty. Mm -hmm. So he's making Daniel one of the, the royalty. But if you read the ancient commentators on this, they say that purple would not have had that significance yet, especially mm. in uh, the pagan lands in Babylon. And they instead suggest, and Tertullian in particular, claims that purple was a mark of free birth. So being given a purple robe would have signified that you are not a slave. You are not a captive. You are not in exile anymore. You are a full citizen wow. of the ruling nation. So this is like, you know, how in the New Testament, Paul is able to appeal to Rome because he's a Roman citizen. This would be like doing that for anybody who's able to interpret it. So in this case, it'll be Daniel. This would signify that he is no longer considered a captive person from the exile, but instead a member of Babylon.
0: Now, that is very interesting. I had not heard that um, that perspective on it before. Because you're right, and we we often conflate, and this is our trouble with reading the Bible anyway. Sometimes when we read the scriptures, say the New Testament, we read it in light of our current times, and we miss the point. Yeah, uh, The same can be said if we read the Old Testament in light of New Testament times, we can miss <laughs> the point. And uh, yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. That'll be something that I'm going to write down and dig into later because I found that very fascinating.
1: Yeah. And it's almost, it's something I did not find in any of the modern commentaries, but again, going back to the ancient commentators. So those that were closer to the time um, and Tertullian was not the only one that mentioned it. He's just the one that laid it out the most clearly. So,
0: yeah. Well, let's let the queen come in because we have a few minutes (laughs) before the break. So I'm going to be reading verses 10 through 12. Just two more verses, but they're kind of long. Here we go. The queen, because of the words of the king and his lords, came into the banquet hall, and the queen declared, O king, live forever. Let not your thoughts alarm you or your color change. There is a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. In the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom like the wisdom of the gods were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father, the king, made him chief of the magicians, enchanters, Chaldeans, and astrologers. Because an excellent spirit, knowledge, and understanding to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve problems were found in this Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar. Now let Daniel be called, and he will show the interpretation so the queen yeah she rolls in here and she says yeah i know this guy i know a guy daniel (laughs) you know you but she does call king nebuchadnezzar his father which sounds to me like maybe this is a title that he had taken for himself more than just I, i mentioned earlier daniel using it to indicate the the similar attitudes of pride between them but now that i see this it does make me think just a second second thought That maybe this is something that he, you know, he he, King Nebuchadnezzar was well known and that's maybe how he wanted to be known. So perhaps his mom coming in and, you know, obviously paying homage to his status uh, refers to him in the way he wants to be known. I don't know. I'm just spitballing here. But yeah, now mom comes in.
1: Yeah, that's definitely a possibility. Um, But yeah, I mean, regardless, queen here probably more likely understood as the queen mother or at least Belshazzar's mother. Probably the the wife of Nabonidus, who is the true king. Um, some have kind of thought, well, maybe it's his grandmother, and, and it's a wife of Nebuchadnezzar or something. But I, I think it's just simpler to think of her as the queen mother here. Yeah. Um, and it also explains her absence from the feast, right? Um, why wasn't she there? Because you know she doesn't want to hanging out with her her son and <laughs> his drunken friends, right? Exactly. And Uh, She also has a better knowledge of Daniel's service record and she's given the title queen. I think the queen mother is the the easiest explanation here. But then uh, as you brought up, she identifies Belshazzar as the son of Nebuchadnezzar. Um, I think with the the role she is uh, going to be directing for Daniel to play in this narrative, um, you can get that tied into that brash and prideful actions of Belshazzar because she saw what it did to Nebuchadnezzar, right? He's humbled in his experiences with Daniel and Daniel's God, the living Lord. And, and he needs the same lesson. But uh, I, I like what you brought up about maybe he's taking this on himself and he's trying to show I'm even greater than our greatest king. All right? Um, and And I think her threefold repetition here is really getting at that. Right? Oh, your father had somebody who did this, and then the father, your king, your king, the fa- the king, your father, um, mm-hmm. over and over again. Uh, she's she's really laying into his identity, Nebuchadnezzar's identity as Belshazzar's father, and, and Belshazzar is Nebuchadnezzar's son.
0: But she could um, be chiding him too. You think, like oh, you know, uh, not, maybe a not little, just yeah. It
1: it could be, but either way, I, I think that repetition is showing us that there's definitely something here. Um, not necessarily that. Uh, she's confused or the text is confused onto their actual identities, but really trying to cement the thematic um, sure. ancestry here. It's almost her, her repetition is almost like a, a me thinks she does protest too much. Type <laughs> yeah. rhetorical device. Although technically it's inverted here, right? Cause she's not negating or denying charges, but instead making them. Right. Um, but then her, her testimony of who Daniel is, is absolutely incredible, right? She describes the way she describes his character, A Babylonian queen, so somebody who has a lot of clout in this pagan foreign land, is proclaiming some very gratifying remarks about Daniel's quality, his quality of character. She not only praises his ability to interpret dreams and puzzles, she also identifies his talents and character as coming from a divine spirit. Right? She says Daniel is gifted with a spirit of the holy gods. I think to have his conduct speaks so highly, even in this very foreign, very hostile land, is a pretty good indicator that Daniel was an exceptionally faithful man. And we should probably be taking character notes from him as an Mm -hmm. example of living out the faith, even in a hostile environment.
0: Yeah, I think that is definitely a testimony to Daniel. I mean, he received accolades from King Nebuchadnezzar, and now this uh, queen mother. And over a period of time, too, he hasn't he hasn't lost this reputation Uh, he continued. I I get the impression that he's no longer serving in the position that Nebuchadnezzar had given him. Um, Yeah, he's probably,
1: well, he's, we've got at least, you know, around 30 years since, since those events. And so likely, you know, he's retired. He's, he's beyond his time of needing to serve, but uh, clearly his fame is still around. And so people understand who he is and know what he has done for the kingdom. Um, but yeah, not, uh, not serving in an active capacity at this time.
0: Same with his friends. We don't hear much about them anymore.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Well, we are at the time for our break, brother. So dear listeners, don't go anywhere. We're going to pause and listen to these messages. But in just a few moments, when Pastor Jones and I return, we're going to continue our discussion of Daniel chapter five. We'll see you on the other side.
1: On America's college campuses, doors are open to sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. The number of international students studying at American schools has more than quadrupled over the past decade. For many of these young men and women, it's their first time living in a free society where they can ask questions about Christianity. You can help answer their questions. Go to lhfmissions.org and partner with the Lutheran Heritage Foundation to translate good Lutheran books into languages these students can read and understand.
0: lhfmissions.org Welcome back to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boone. With me today is the Reverend Rick Jones. He's the chaplain and vice president of spiritual life of the Dakota Boys and Girls Ranch and RSO in North Dakota. Pastor, welcome back. Before the break, boy, we were getting into the queen coming and saying some either flattering or not so flattering things about uh, her son, but regardless, things that were true, connecting him to the pridefulness of King Nebuchadnezzar. And, you know, she doesn't want to have anything to do with this with this drunken party he's gotten involved with. But the whole party is over because now this hand has appeared and written on the wall, something that all of the king's men cannot put back together. And so <laughs> we are going to get into our next text, uh, the next verses, and that's going to be Daniel's interpretation of it. Yeah. Um. So anything else you want to lay down, though, before we get into those verses? Um.
1: Yeah, I think just the the themes that are that are coming out, right, is the connection between Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar in their arrogant conduct of of elevating themselves, not just above other people, but above the God of Israel. Uh, and that is that that sort of idolatry, even of the own heart, the self the self-idolatry is is what is dripping through these pages. And we're going to see what the ultimate sort of come comeuppance is going to be.
0: Excellent. We're going to read just a few verses, um, 13 through, uh, through 17, I believe. Here we go. Then Daniel was brought in before the king. The king answered and said to Daniel, you are that Daniel, one of the exiles of Judah, whom the king, my father brought from Judah. I have heard of you that the spirit of the gods is in you and that light and understanding and excellent wisdom are found in you. Now the wise men, the enchanters, have been brought in before me to read this writing and to make known to me its interpretation, but they could not show the interpretation of the matter. But I have heard that you can give interpretation and solve problems. Now if you can read the writing and make known to me its interpretation, you shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around your neck and shall be the third ruler In the kingdom. Then Daniel answered and said before the king, Let your gifts be for yourself and give your rewards to another. Nevertheless, I will read the writing to the king and make known to him the interpretation. (laughs) That's the end of 17.
1: Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, so Daniel is summoned. He comes in and I mean, to Belshazzar's credit, he, he, he's try. it, it sounds like he's trying to be respectful. You know, I've heard you can do all these great things. I, I heard you, you were this this great guy, although it might be a little bit, um, maybe he's given as his, his mom, the corner of his eye here to, you know, yep, that's right. You do what you need to do. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, is, is she going to yell at me if I don't do this the right way? Um, but yeah, he makes it clear. He doesn't know Daniel personally. Um, he's only heard of him secondhand. There is a little bit of sense of respect and veneration from, from Balthazar. Um, you know, acknowledgement that it, that it was suggested maybe Daniel can actually help him. And so he's, he's doing this. Uh, and then Daniel comes in um, and, and, and I just, I, I love, it's, it's not, like the queen. Oh, King live forever. And we see him say that other places he's like, keep your gifts. Um, I don't, I don't, I don't want your stuff. Um, he addresses, he addresses the King and we see that the, the queen's assessment is sort of borne out a little bit, right. He's not going to take the gifts, um, with the idea that, oh yeah, you can buy a good, a good, you know, reading from me sort of a thing. Mm -hmm. He's not going to be paid for, uh, a good fortune. He's not going to be paid to 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 soothe the the king's itching ears. He's going to give the truth even if it is bad news. He is his his prophecy is not for sale. And so he has no no qualms about delivering the truth even if it's going to be negative. Oh, uh, so well, absolutely. That a makes a lot of sense
0: to his, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah cuz this guy's used to just paying for, you know, the good fortunes and that's not what he's going to get from Daniel.
1: Yep. Daniel's going to do the right thing, even though the king's not going to like it.
0: Well, let's get into it then. Uh, Verses 18 through, uh, let's do 23. Here we go. O king, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar, your father, kingship and greatness and glory and majesty. And because of the greatness that he gave him, all peoples, nations and languages trembled and feared before him. He was fed grass like an ox and his body was wet with the dew of heaven until he knew that the Most High God rules the kingdom of mankind and sets over it whom he will. And you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, though you knew all of this, but you have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven and the vessels of his house have been brought in before you and you, your lords, your wives and your concubines have drunk wine from them. And you have praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze and iron and wood and stone, which do not see or hear or know, but the God in whose hand is your breath and whose are all your ways you have not honored. All right, so far, so good. He lays down the law, you know, basically Oh, son of Nebuchadnezzar, you didn't learn the lesson that he learned. And we get a little revisit to what happened to King Nebuchadnezzar.
1: Right, right. Yeah, so Daniel is not afraid to call out Belshazzar's sins of arrogance and pride and idolatry. He compares him straight away to Nebuchadnezzar with his mockery of, of Yahweh, the one true God. and He points out that he has elevated himself above all else, including the living Lord, as he, you know, he thinks he's in charge of life, just as Nebuchadnezzar did. When Nebuchadnezzar did this, though, he was humbled. God laid him low through madness and becoming like uh, any other creature, any other beast of the field. Right, God stripped away Nebuchadnezzar's humanity to show him his rightful place. Belshazzar has failed to learn from the example of his predecessor, of his father, in this sense. And so God will also have to teach Belshazzar a lesson in humility. Daniel points out the idols that Belshazzar is venerating with the banquet and uses these lifeless false gods that are created by human hands to establish the extreme contrast to the real power of the Lord who gives the very breath of life and reigns over all of creation. So this is who Belshazzar is mocking and who he is insulting with his disgusting behavior, and Daniel, yeah, he doesn't doesn't shy away from delivering this harsh word before he even is going to interpret or read the the message that's been written on the wall.
0: Yeah, and let's get to that message because this is just the last few verses, and then we yeah. can continue to parse it all. Uh, this is verses twenty four through the rest of our uh, chapter, which is thirty one. Then from his presence, the hand was sent. And this writing was inscribed, and this is the writing that was inscribed, Mina Mina Tekel, Parsin. This is the interpretation of the matter. Mina, God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. Tekel, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Peres, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. Then Belshazzar gave the command and Daniel was clothed with purple. A chain of gold was put around his neck and a proclamation was made about him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. That very night, Belshazzar, the Chaldean king, was killed and Darius the Mede received the kingdom, being about 62 years old. Thus ends our text. So, uh, you know. Forgive the poor pronunciations of what is written, but they they seem to mean something clearly in terms of their, uh, you know, first level reading on the surface level. And then he interprets each of them for us. Uh, but take us into that, Pastor. You know, what, you know, he's, he's interpreting these things, but it definitely takes more than just understanding what the words mean to understand what they are intended to communicate.
1: Yeah, so… First, again, Daniel starts off by showing his disregard for the king's favors and riches. And after openly calling out the sins of the kingdom, Daniel sets right to the task that's been set before him. And he seems to easily both read and interpret this message that no one else was able to to even figure out the, the beginning of. Uh, as I, as I kind of referenced earlier, Reverend Dr. Andrew Steinman has an intriguing explanation as to why these so-called wise men uh, may mm-hmm. have had difficulty. So due to the Aramaic script's lack of spacing and vowels, the message would have just been a, a long jumble of letters. So this provides the possibility of many words being extracted from the writing. So mm. secondly, um, once words are identified, some coherent message must be gained from these words. So even if they would have been able to come up, well, maybe it's these you know words, they have to come up with an interpretation afterwards. But, you know, we, we, we start to see how big of a puzzle this is. Um, from, from Daniel, uh, we see the text of the message contains three words, mene, tekel, and parson. Um, Daniel gives us the meaning as Belshazzar and Babylon's uh, time being finite, judgment is not in their favor, and the kingdom will be divided for the Medes and the Persians. And Steinman uses those words as they were given as mene, tekel, and piris, uh to be a triple-double entendre. So all three terms are also various weights of measurement in Babylon. Uh, the mene would have been the mina. Uh, and the word itself can actually mean to be counted. But additionally, um, as you sort of make it a verb, it can be to be paid out. So the, it, here it's describing not just time running out for Babylon, but also as God paying out what their actions deserve. He's settling accounts in effect. Uh, that's the many. And then the tekel is is the Aramaic shekel. Uh, and the word itself, again, can mean to be weighed, but also has the nuance of being light, so lacking that weight. And finally, uh, the word peres, or I guess I, maybe first the four the being made light here, it's their, their conduct is lacking importance. It's lacking the weight, the character, the faithfulness, the quality that it requires. And so that's where the judgment is happening. And then finally the word Paris, which is the, the half mina weight. So a mina, a shekel, and the half mina. And as a, a basic meaning to the word uh, of Paris itself, it means to be broken in two. So hence the idea of a half weight. But linguistically, it's the same as the word for Persians. So in a matter of three words, God has proclaimed that Belshazzar and literally the entire kingdom of battle, Babylon's time is limited because God is bringing his justice. Okay, their verdict, it's not a positive one because they are lacking in faithfulness. And then the, the sort of consequences, their kingdom will now be overthrown and split between the Medes and the Persians. So you have the base word, you have its weight and its meaning, and then you have the interpretation of the application of the, what's actually being happening through God's provision here or God's plan here. Um, beautiful uh, display of, of God using something that only he can put together and uh, showing it to us through the gifts that he has enabled his people with, in this case, Daniel and, and language, just incredible.
0: Yeah, it's really a message that's just cryptic enough where they um, have to call Daniel. He's the only <laughs> guy. He's the only guy that would have been able to interpret it. But again, the glory does not go to Daniel, but mm. goes to God, right? Who, who I envision um, displayed this message such to bring Daniel into the picture. If Daniel is retired or he's just not prominent anymore and he's on his own, um, it's important that, that Daniel be brought back into the picture for God's prophecy to be proclaimed. And so everything that has happened so far with King Nebuchadnezzar sets up the Babylonians to understand that, yeah, there's this guy who can interpret this. And once again, all the Chaldeans and the, and the magicians and the astrologers who, if I were them, would not take the job because we know what happened <laughs> to the last ones. But it must have been a pretty good life in between all of the false prophecies because, you know, you still have guys. I guess it's better than working for a living. They they, they give the king all these prophecies, but they cannot interpret this one. And so here comes Daniel. Yeah. yeah. And in just these words, um, you know, I think that we can divide it up in the way that you did, uh, in the way that the uh, commentary does. And it helps us make sense of it but really the sense only comes because it, just daniel was given this this wisdom to understand what it means oh, absolutely and, absolutely yeah it's,
1: divine, and, uh, it's a divine gift yeah
0: right which is just beautiful and it really mm-hmm. it really is beautiful um anything else before we revisit these last couple verses because um uh, you know he doesn't want the gifts that that belshazzar wants to give him and probably for pretty good reason but anything else before we move on? Sure. To see well,
1: that? Let's, yeah, we can we can wrap that because you 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 read through there.
0: Um, I did, I did, but I want to I want to reread them oh, just yeah. a little bit because Belshazzar gives the command, and Daniel yeah. gets all the things. He gets the purple. He gets the chain of gold. He's third ruler in the kingdom, and uh, and I guess he probably ruled in that kingdom for a long time, right?
1: Yeah. For a couple of hours. (laughs) Um, Right. Yeah. So after receiving the interpretation of the message, Belshazzar does fulfill his promise and grants David the, or excuse me, Daniel, the purple robe, the gold chain, and he is also made the third in the kingdom. Um, But any glory and honor would have been incredibly short lived as that very evening Babylon is overthrown and Belshazzar likely provides um, the payment anyway, for such awful news, just to save face in front of his guests, rather than as any, any true sign of character on his part, right? This isn't this isn't repentance. This isn't oh, I was wrong. This is because we get nothing else from him, right? He doesn't say, "Oh, may your gods live forever," and we all right. have to worship the one true God, which is what we've seen already in the Book of Daniel. Here, there's none of that.
0: Well, I well, I'm glad that you brought that up, though, because um, yeah, we see that repentance on part of Nebuchadnezzar. And I was wondering why, why would he say, okay, here's all the things if the, frankly, the news was bad. Yeah. Yeah. What's really fascinating to me is not only did he pay Daniel the things that he said, Mm -hmm. but Daniel himself has seemingly grown. And the reason I bring that up is because the last time he was offered to be the chief magician he said, yeah, sure, but I also want something for my buddies. Yeah, And, and so he readily accepts all of this glory. Um, and so, you know, not that, you know, the benefits we receive from being faithful to God are a bad thing, but, you know, he kind of reveals this dream to Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar rewards him with all of these things and he, he takes them, he negotiates to get some stuff for his buddies too. And they're a prefix or something like that. Yep. And now, you know, many decades later it's all about nope just the glory to god just an opportunity to proclaim that your gods are nothing and that there's only one true god so i don't know it's as much that daniel knew that these rewards would come to nothing within the night as much as it is he's grown in his maturity about you know the service that he renders is solely for god
1: yeah and likely it's both right he he understands what god's plan is going to be he knows uh, any of the the kingdoms of this world are 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 fading. And so he's he's looking for the reign of eternity. and that's what he's trying to serve. Um, so that's very likely. But yeah, I mean touching again on the differences between um, Belshazzar and Nebuchadnezzar, you know the fall of Babylon and and Belshazzar's death here at the hands of the Medes and the Persians, it, it's it's God's plan for justice. He provided a similar lesson to Nebuchadnezzar after having his humanity stripped away, Nebuchadnezzar repented then, right? And he gave glory to God. Belshazzar on the other hand engages in such extravagance and arrogant debauchery that even the, the, the Medes, even with them right on the doorstep, he, he doesn't seem to care. There he's willing to defile these sacred vessels of, of another nation in spite of all that has transpired in the history of his kingdom and, it just seems clear there's no repentance in his heart. And so more than just the humanity being stripped away from Belshazzar, it is his very life that is demanded from him as a final testimony to who has the true power over life and death. It is not man. It is no man. It is God alone. And I think that we're getting that in here. And then, yeah, I think, Daniel, I, again, I think he's establishing, you know, I, I'm only going to proclaim the truth regardless of whether that's good or bad. And so I don't I don't need your gifts. I don't want your gifts. But, yeah, there's no there's no sense then. Well, I also want to use this to serve God's people or whatever. It's just, OK, give me the stuff, I guess. Um, I'll, I'll, wear, <laughs> I'll wear your robe. I'll wear, wear your chain. Um, but, yeah, it very, very shortly lived um, because then, you know, the kingdom is given to this Darius the Mede who, again, lots of debate about who this this person is. That's another um, text that people have used to sort of criticize the Bible as being ahistorical and things. Um, but there's been debate about this for, for, you know, a millennia. Several of the ancient commentators suggest he is a nephew of Cyrus the Great. But again, I think a simpler solution is that Cyrus and Darius the Mede are one and the same person references to his age, you know that he is known as a Mede, as well as the timeline um, in several different regards from extra biblical books and, and things as well. I think it, that makes it the easiest solution. They are the same person. Uh, and I also think that the reference to Darius as 20 or 62 years old is not just an identifier of the person, but also shows God's control of all the events of his people's history. Because that would put his birth at 601 BC, which is just a few years after the deportation of the Jewish peoples to Babylon. So those taken would have included Daniel and the other three young men at the time that are testified to in the book of Daniel. So this idea that, oh yeah, and he was 62, um, which means God, it's a nod to God's plan. That he was planning for his people's return because it's ultimately going to be Cyrus who lets them return. He's going to end the exile. He's, God is planning through future leaders, even as they are first sent into exile. So yes, the book starts with this terrible thing happening to God's people. But at the same time, God already has the plan for what the end is going to look like. They are going to return. There is going to be a remnant. There is going to be faithful service, even in exile, that we're going to get to see through the book of Daniel. But the end is already in motion
0: uh it's, it's beautiful and ultimately that's what it's about about yeah, god's control yeah. over history not in a fatalistic way but in a way that is assuring and 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 comforting to those yeah. who believe in him put their faith hope and trust in him and yet wonder you know how can these bad things continue to happen um but the lord is there yeah it's and and god Frequently in the Old Testament, and I believe today, even though we don't think of it that way as much, uh, used you know non-believers to effect His will.
1: Oh yeah, and He talks about that all over in Scripture, right? We and I think, I mean, there's much to be said uh, about God using outsiders to bring about His plan. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think these events as the fulfillment of prophecy is is an incredible example. Um, I was looking through something, Jeremiah 50 verse two and verse 24 uh, say this. Announce and proclaim among the nations. Lift up a banner and proclaim it. Keep nothing back, but say, Babylon will be captured. Bel will be put to shame. Marduk filled with terror. Her images will be put to shame and her idols filled with terror. I set a trap for you, Babylon, and you were caught before you knew it. You were found and captured because you opposed the Lord.
0: Hmm. You were caught before you knew it. Oh, isn't that amazing?
1: Well, the writing was on the wall after all.
0: It certainly um, was.
1: No, and I, I, I wanted to bring that back because, yeah, that's well, where we even get that expression, right? The, the, I can right. see the writing on the wall. It's, it comes from this. The conduct of your life, the choices that Belshazzar had been making led to his demise, and now we can see it all taking place. The writing was on the wall. It's going to happen because of the choices that were made. The unfaithfulness led to his destruction. Um, just incredible. What lessons can we learn from this? So much. Um, yes, faithfulness, even in dark times, uh, that God is in control of everything, um, but kind of connecting it with, again, that theme over and over of Nebuchadnezzar, that arrogance, that pride being the father of Belshazzar's pride and arrogance. I, I found this in First Peter chapter 5, it's verses 5 through 7. Says likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you even in exile even in the midst of our pain in this life god's plan will come about and he has planned it that way from the beginning we see it through the events of history in the old testament uh, but ultimately we know that comes through christ right the 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 struggle the the Exile, the, the pain that we experience in events like the Israelites faced when they were in exile, those same sort of lonelinesses, the, the, um, the fear, the, the animosity, the, the hostility that we might face in the world today, all of that. Uh, is made up for in Christ. And God planned that from the very beginning. He sends him to feel that hostility, to take on that pain, to take on those burdens as he takes it to the cross. And so we humble ourselves knowing he has already accomplished it for us. Just as Daniel is able to come in and confidently say, yeah, uh, you're not supposed to think you're better than God. He's the one with the plan and now he's going to prove it. We can be there right there with him, having that same confidence as we look to everything being accomplished for us in the cross.
0: I'd like to thank my guest this morning, the Reverend Rick Jones, Chaplain and Vice President of Spiritual Life of the Dakota Boys and Girls Ranch. Thank you, Pastor, for being on the show.
1: Absolutely. Thank you, Pastor Boo. Really enjoyed being here.
0: Thank you, too, dear listener, for tuning in to Thy Strong Word. I've been your host, Pastor Phil Boo. Join in tomorrow as we go right into the lion's den with Daniel in Chapter 6. Until then, may God's peace and blessings be with you all as we pray Father, keep us in thy strong word.